it has to be about really good players playing against each other on flat wickets, on good surfaces, on quick outfields, and batters being able to express themselves, bowlers being challenged to have to bowl well. And although it was my team that came out on the wrong end of that, I was sort of watching the game and thinking, this is actually the sort of level that regional cricket has to be at. Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. We have another action-packed show for you today with all of the news of a league season that's just getting better and better. We'll also be chatting to Scotland legend Craig Wright about his return to the national setup, as well as reflecting on another terrific week in the men's regional series. But first, well done to Granger's under-15s who beat Clydesdale to win the under-15 Vitality Scottish Cup final at New William Field. And now we'll go on to represent Scotland in the full ECB competition later this summer. And congratulations too to Eastern Premier side Meagle, who pulled off an absolutely sensational victory over Torres Holm of the Westmoreland League to reach the last 16 of the Vonius Village Cup. Needing 14 off the final over in North Lancashire, Zahid Rashid hit two sixes and a four to spark some incredible scenes. Our very best to them as they play Houghton Mains Cricket Club in the next round of this famous old competition on the 4th of July. But before we hear about all of the other domestic action in the company of Gary Heatley, here's our chat with Craig Wright. We heard about his hopes and plans for Scotland, but after Michael Lee's sensational 70-ball 198 for forfeiture in midweek, Jake began by asking him how his Cali Highlanders side were shaping up in the run-up to the weekend's matches. Obviously, we had a bit of a sobering experience at the Grange a couple of weeks ago, but in a, in a, in a way, I think it was great in the sense that Regional cricket, that is what, what, what it has to be all about. It has to be about really good players playing against each other on flat wickets, on good surfaces, on quick outfields, and batters being able to express themselves, bowlers being challenged to have to bowl well. And although it was my team that came out on the wrong end of that, um, I, I was sort of watching the game and thinking, this is actually the sort of level that, that regional cricket has to be at. Um, we weren't anywhere near good enough on, on the day. Um, but in terms of some of the batting that was on show uh, from from the nights, it, it, it was it was the level that that that, uh, that pro series cricket needs to be at, and the challenge for us obviously is, is to show a bit of character, I suppose, and, and come back on on Sunday against the, the academy and show that we are a we're a much much better team than we uh, than we showed in, in in that match a couple of weeks ago, and there's, there's certainly no doubt that we're uh, we're far better than uh, than we showed in that game. Looking at the events of a couple of days ago as well, um, certain Mr. Leesk appears to be in a bit of good form. Yeah, well, it's great because we just was talking to to Lisa actually on, on training on, on Tuesday, and quite a few of these lads, just because of the the, the nature of the way that the season's gone, uh, they haven't actually had that much match play opportunities. So we're talking about just to stay patient and and, and he'll get his time uh, time in the middle and and and, uh, and and get his rhythm rhythm with his batting, and he obviously he obviously found that <laughs> found that on uh, on Wednesday night, and hopefully uh, hopefully takes that into uh, into Sunday's game. Well, it's great to see you back in the the senior Scotland setup, Craig. And I guess, although interesting times at the moment, um, how have you found the first few months within the squad and been within the setup? Uh, it's been 
really bizarre in a lot of ways in the sense that, I mean, I was away for five years, almost exactly five years actually since since I left in 2016 to, to taking up the role again. And it's a very similar role to what I was doing before. Um, and actually the, the, the squad by and large is, is pretty identical. So in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it was very, very familiar, uh, which is great and allowed me to sort of hit the ground running because uh, I know the players, I know the environment. But obviously, uh, there's a lot of different people involved from the from the sort of sports staff and, and cricket Scotland staff side of things. So, in that sense, that it, it was it, it was uh, it was coming into a new environment, and obviously with the challenges of COVID was it's obviously different for for everyone. So those challenges that's been thrown at us from from that point of view. But I mean, I'm I'm loving being back. Um, I've always loved working with this group of players, and uh, you know it, it was great getting back getting back involved with them. Uh, and I think, you know, hopefully, touch wood with, with COVID and everything else, with the cricket that we've got coming up over the next year to, to two years, um, you know, I'm hoping we can we can go on and achieve achieve some great things. And and I guess going back into that squad, um, what does your day-to-day routine look like with the squad and, and I guess the organisation at the moment? And and has it changed from where it was five years ago what you what you go out and do in a session or or is it quite similar to what you've always done i probably can't comment too much on the sort of organizational or operational side of things because with the way things have been you know haven't been in and around the office environment a lot compared to obviously what would have been for the 15 years i worked with cricket scotland before so um i, I don't have the same handle on, on what's happening at that sort of level that, that, that I would have done before and that's something that will come in time but um, I mean obviously there's, there's been a lot of changes that are just evident from that point of view uh, over the last sort of five years uh, certainly women's cricket um, is one of them uh, having had the opportunity to work with the women's squad um, uh, just when I started and before Mark Coles came in um, you know I see huge improvements in, 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 the, in, the, in the girls which was great um, obviously, a lot more uh, time and investment being being made in the in the girls' side of things with with the appointment of uh, first appointment of full time coach, so that's fantastic. Um, obviously, as you know, there's been quite a, a transition in terms of the development staff as well and that type of thing. So I'm still trying to get a handle on that. Um, but in terms of, in terms of my role, it's very similar to what I was doing before, which is assistant to the to the head coach, so assistant to Shane, whereas I was just assistant to to Grant before. Uh, with specific um, responsibilities for the seam bowling. Um, so I've really enjoyed working with Shane so far. I think we're developing a, a strong relationship, uh, the same way we had a strong relationship with Grant, which is great. Um, and then I've also got a little bit of responsibility sort of down the, the pathway side of things as well. So for the, with the, with the academy, the under-19s, and, and sort of working a little bit further down that way to try and make sure that we've got some uh, some good talent, particularly on the steam bowling side of things, coming coming through over the years to try and sustain uh, to sustain our success at a national team level. I mean, as you say, you know so many of these players so well. Uh, you played alongside some of them, of course, in your playing days, um, and then guided others through the age group process and in your previous spell as as acting and assistant coach. Um, so what's your assessment of the squad just now? You know, where where its strengths lie, uh, the, those areas for development? Uh, well, I think we've obviously, um, as I said to you before, it's a very similar squad to the squad that we had when, when I left. So I think that that's a positive in some ways, but also a challenge in other ways. So it's a positive in the sense that we have a, a group a hardcore group of very experienced, good quality players who've been around for a long time and, and played a lot of international cricket. 
but obviously it poses challenges in the sense that you know we need to make sure we don't have a repeat maybe of what happened back in the sort of mid to late 2000s uh, when a lot of sort of my year if you want to call it that uh, retired around the same time and we had a little bit of a drop off so I think the challenge for us as coaches and development staff and, and Toby Bailey and Gordon Drummond who are doing great jobs with the academy and under 19s is to make sure that we have that seamless transition of, of players coming through with the requisite skills and uh, experiences to to make sure that you know when when a Kyle Coots or, or an Ali Evans or Callum McLeod or whoever it is in however many years um, step away there's, there's someone to come in and, and, and make sure that we're, we're, we're maintaining as much as we possibly can the standards that, that we have but as I said as I mentioned earlier I, you know I've always had a, a massive belief in, in the in the skills and the ability of, of this group and I think some of the achievements they've had some of the wins they've had over the last few, uh, few years have shown the talent um, I think we need to be more consistent um, and I think the challenge for us with the qualifying tournaments that we've got coming up for the 50 over World Cup, the T20 World Cup obviously as well and all that sort of stuff, associate cricket requires you to be consistent and I think that's probably our challenge in terms of making sure that we're bringing those great skills that we have on a, uh, a sort of ruthless basis, game in, game out, so we can maximise what this this group can achieve over over the next, as I say, the next sort of 18 months to, to two years with all the fantastic cricket we've hopefully got coming up. Well, I guess we don't count chickens at all these days, but next up, all being well, are the, the Cricket World Cup League Two fixtures against Nepal and Namibia. Uh, both sides that have a bit of the X factor, particularly Nepal in Sandy Lamachain. Um, yeah, yeah. He uh, he actually made his name in the uh, Hong Kong T20 Blitz when he came and played for the, the club that I coached the second year of that tournament when I was over in Hong Kong. He, he played alongside Michael, Michael Clark. Um, both played for the Kowloon Cantons, which was the franchise that I coached uh, in the second and third year of that competition when it was in Hong Kong. But in the first year, uh, Sandeep was there and, and made a real impact and Michael Clark really rated him and I think there was a bit of PR around him. And then since then, he's sort of gone gone on from strength to strength. Um, but Nepal, yeah, Nepal look, look, look like they're improving. Uh, they've obviously got a couple of X-Factor players. Uh, but I mean, in terms of Lama Shane specifically, you know, we've got, some absolutely phenomenal players of spin, so you know it doesn't it doesn't particularly worry me when we come up against teams that have great spinners because I think we've got great batters against spin. So um, I think one of the things just looking at Nepal's recent results is perhaps they've got a few more expansive batters than they've had in the past. They were always a relatively conservative team batting wise, but they look like they've actually maybe got a few younger batters who are a little bit more expansive coming through. So that's maybe maybe a challenge for uh, for our uh, for our bowlers. Um, but you know, as we get closer to that, that series, we'll we'll have a look at them and uh, and see see what we're up against. And the Namibians, we know we know are dangerous. You know, they obviously did really well in the T Twenty qualifiers back uh, last last winter. So we know they're a dangerous team. Um, so we'll have a look at them too but I'm always a believer as well in making sure you, your own house is in order and, and you're in as good good a place as you possibly can be to play the, the, the cricket you're capable of and you know, I firmly believe at associate level particularly uh, if we play anywhere near the level we're capable of then these teams will struggle to, struggle to live with us Yeah, I mean you've been in and around the associate scene for so many years now as, as player and, and coach has there ever been a time as competitive as as now or a time when the gap between the associate and the full members is is so narrow 
I don't think so, no. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of the top associate teams are have full-time players now, which they didn't have probably up till about 10 years ago, maybe. Or, uh, so I think you can see from the results that the associate teams have had against uh, against the, the, the full members in the last, certainly the last five or six years, probably, and Ireland going back a bit f- further than that, that that gap is narrowing. But... You know, I always, always argued, and I always argued till I was blue in the face. All that was required was more, a bit more investment, a bit more opportunity for the associates, the top associates, to play against, particularly the lower ranked um, full members. Because I mean, I, I don't actually think during my time, I don't actually think we ever played against Zimbabwe ever in a in a, in a competitive match. I think we played a we played a warm up game uh, against them in, in one of the tournaments, but I don't think we ever ever actually played. Zimbabwe uh, in a in a competitive game. We did play Bangladesh, and when we played them here, we always gave them a good game. So you know, I think the gap between the the top associates and the lower ranked full members, you know, ha- hasn't been that big for for some time. But I think now you see that the the, the top associates are actually challenging the the sort of middle ranked and and, and even the upper ranked uh, full members on a more regular basis. And and the more that they, the more they get to play against them, the more that you'll see these results. There's, there's never been any doubt about that. And and just talking about challenging uh, those full members, Scotland's ambitions are very much geared towards achieving that full member status. And and after all your years as a player and a coach, what would it mean for you to achieve that ambition within Scotland, Craig? I think I think it'd be amazing. I mean, when I started playing, you know, even, even the idea of Scotland playing in a, in a World Cup wasn't a thing that you could you could see happening. And then, luckily enough, uh, as I was growing up, that then became a reality. And you know, I think there's definitely been a, a sort of shifting of the sands in very recent times about the structure of international cricket, which is great because it looked, I suppose, with the big three or whatever that was back a few years ago, that associates were going to get marginalised again. But it does seem to have been in recent times with Ireland, Afghanistan being promoted. Um, the thirteen-team 13 ODI Super League coming into being. Uh, I think the, the the opportunities and the possibilities are, are there now, um, and that's been backed up by the by the associates um, winning games and showing, uh, as we, as we mentioned before, that the, the gap isn't that big. So I, I don't think there's any reason why uh, we shouldn't uh, really have our sights firmly set on that and be achieving that within the next the, ne- the next few years, really. Um, Obviously, we need to we need to have some sort of landmark results in World Cups. I think that really helps. So we've got opportunities to do that in, in the next um, in the next year to to, to two years, uh, hopefully on multiple occasions. So that'll really help. Um, and I think yeah, yeah, I think it would just be a culmination of a lot of people's hard work from from way back in the day, probably 20, 25 years ago when when we became a an ICC uh, associate member. Um, it could have happened, I think, perhaps by now. Um, if certain things had gone our way, but it hasn't. So it's up to the people who are involved now to make sure that the opportunity is in front of us and, and we take it when it, uh, when it does come around next time. Craig Wright. And so to discuss all the weekend's domestic action, we're joined again by Gary Heatley. And Gary, we'll hear about how the Highlanders fared in a moment, but another big batting performance from Ollie Hares to see the Eastern Knights to the top of the table with two wins from two. Yes, absolutely, Jake. In round one of the regional series, it was Jamie Crawley's time to start with the bat when he hit 206 for the Eastern Knights against the Highlanders. But on Sunday, with Crawley unavailable, it was Harris who played the lead role for Steve Gilmore's men, 
coming off the back of 191 of 97 balls for what's really 24 hours earlier. Hairs are obviously in good form. And opening the batting at Tipwood against the Warriors, left-hander hit 102 off just 44 balls. His second 50 coming off just 16 balls to set his side away like a train. Once he was out with the score 156 for two, the Warriors bowlers, to their credit, pegged the Knights back with Richie Barrington, Ross Lyons and Callum McLeod all taking two wickets apiece as the Knights made it up to 242 all out. That was certainly a gettable total for the Warriors, but in their reply they fell to 63 for five. And despite 81 from Sterling County's Brandon McMullen and 66 from Muddingston's Ross Lyons, they were all out for 213 to lose by 29 runs. Brad Curry and Heritage Duo, Elliot Rutherford and Mark Watt all took wickets for the Knights, who remain unbeaten. And Gary, we heard from Cali Highlanders coach Craig earlier on. His team were missing Kyle Kutzer, who was drafted in by Durham at the last minute for the T20 blast down south. But they still had too much for the Performance Academy. Yes, Arbroath's Lachlan's ground, the Highlanders posted 297 all-out batting first. Granger's Harris Carnegie making 53, Safi and Sharif hitting 50 and Chris Reeves 47 to get them up to that good total. While Jasper Davidson was the best bowler for the Performance Academy, taking four wickets. In their reply, the Performance Academy fell to 24 for four, but Chris McBride stood firm. The number three batsman hit 120 of 117 balls and was supported by the likes of Tom Simpson, Liam Naylor and Ben Davidson. When McBride went to Forfarshire skipper Scott Cameron, so did any hopes that Performance Academy had of winning the game. In the end, they were 233 all out to lose by 64 runs, and Sharif, who's also been in fine form for his club Sunderland, led the way with four wickets, with his opening bowling partner Adrian Neal also bowling well, the big Harriet's man taking two for 32. So another big week in regionals and in the club game too, where Clydesdale now sit top of the Western Premier League, Jake. They do, as the only side still unbeaten after a terrific win away at Prestwick, who also went into the game looking to protect a 100% record. Clydesdale have specialised in nail-biters this year, and this was no exception after a topsy-turvy innings with the bat, which saw them reduced to 0 for 2, then 52 for 4. Richie Barrington showed his class with 35, what turned out to be the highest score of the day, but his departure left Clydesdale on 65 for 5, and in due course, 84 for 9. Unsurprisingly, it was Presswick's spin attack which did the damage, Majid Hack taking his third forfer in succession and Sachin Chowdhury three for 24. But a partnership of 57 for the last wicket between Callum Drummond and Aaron Krishna got the Clydesdale total up to 141 and ultimately proved to be the deciding factor. Not that it was looking that way when the Prestwick openers then put on 54 in the first nine overs, but when Chowdhury then fell with the score on 58, bowled by Krishna, it started a collapse of their own. In no time at all, the score was 68 for three, then 96 for six, as Daniel Cairns and the first of two runouts spread a bit of panic through the home side. Cairns ended with three for 40, and Callum Drummond three for 31, as the last four wickets fell for just six runs, leaving Prestwick on 118 and Clydesdale on their own at the top of the table. I spoke to winning skipper Paddy Barber. I think um, when most people are looking at their, their fixtures, they'll look at Prestwick away and think, you know, that's a tough one, and be lucky to win out there. So after the game, I was thinking, kind of treat it like a bonus, um, being able to go down there and come back with a win. The way we did it as well, I know we've not really fired in our first two games either and it's kind of similar yesterday but we managed to sort of collectively get over the line which is good which means we've got stuff to improve on 
but also winning when you're not playing so well usually bodes well. Yeah, I mean, as as you say, you know, there's there's plenty left in the in the tank there, and it must be really pleasing to see how how different players have put their hands up already this season. I mean, Callum Drummond and Aaron Krishna with the bat yesterday, for example, their contribution proved to be crucial in the end. Yeah, I mean, they're both getting the stick the last few weeks for batting 10 and 11. And they, to be honest, they're much better than a 10 and 11. Uh, in most teams, uh, they'd be batting much higher up. And so in that way, when we were nine down, I wasn't thinking like, you know, where's our next run coming from? I know they can both bat and both play. But I mean, judging by you know when we were eighty for nine, I wasn't expecting a sixty odd partnership. But I was hoping we could maybe get to one twenty or something. But it was not as if they played the innings of their life or you know played shots that they're not capable of. They just kind of bad normally. And in the second innings, when by the time they got to the score where we were nine down, they were only three down, I think. Uh, so basically, the last seven wickets we got was all in that you know nine wicket partnership runs. Um, so yeah, it's really crucial, really crucial. And uh, as you said, when we spoke for the the written preview earlier in the week, I mean to strike a blow against one of your your title rivals must be very satisfying as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're really early doors in the season. Obviously, it's it's um, nice to be the only ones keeping that unbeaten record because obviously Fergus lost as well. We've hardly started the season, but it's just nice to to be the only ones keeping that record just now. As Paddy mentioned, Fergusley, who were also unbeaten going into the weekend, lost by a single run to Stirling County at Meeklerigs. Matthew Tweedy's 74th saw the away side post 223 for five, which proved to be just enough, despite Riyad Henry's fighting 85 in the second innings. Both sides now have two wins and sit second and third in the table, with Presswick just below them in fourth on net run rate. West of Scotland picked up their second victory too with a comfortable win over Dumfries at Hamilton Crescent, home skipper James Fenner adding figures of 5 for 23 to his early innings of 43, while Uddingston secured their first win of the season by beating Langside by 69 runs, Amil Gould taking 4 for 15 and Ross Lyons 3 for 34. And finally, Pollock broke their duck with a six-wicket win over Greenock, who are now the only team in the division without a victory. So some big results at the top of the table in the West, and there were some more of the same in the East as well, Gary. Yeah, absolutely right. The Eastern Premier Division hotting up as well, and it was an entertaining week five on Saturday. Forfarshire are now top of the table after they returned to form after missing out in week four by seeing off bottom side Stuart's Melville. Seth Aycock took three for 44, and James Gordon two for 48 for Stuart's Melville, but Forfarshire still made up to 303 all out, batting first in Berlin. Captain Scott Cameron led the way with 84, closely followed by Michael Eastwood 79 and Jack Hogarth who made 48. In a match slightly affected by rain showers, Stu Mel made 228 all out in reply, Ben Wilkinson leading the way with 60, but they lost by 72 runs via DLS. Fergus Duncan led the way for first with four wickets. And they're now top of the table because Ollie Hare's inspired Watsonians to a home win over previously unbeaten Grange at Myerside. Batting first in a match reduced to 46 overs per side, Hares was on fire against his former club. The Grange bowler just not knowing where to bowl to him as he reached his century and then motored on. His innings included a number of sixes, including some that went out of the ground, and the barrage helped his side post 295 for nine. Missing the likes of Gordon Gowdy, the run chase was always going to be quite tough for Grange's young batting lineup, and the Watsonians bowlers all chipped in with key wickets at the right times. Credit to teenager Charlie Pete with 56, and opener Harris Carnegie with 48, 
but in the end, Grange fell short, losing by 68 runs. And afterwards, I spoke to Victoria's skipper, Pete Maximchik. So yeah, Pete, if you could just maybe talk us through that, that innings from, from all the hairs from a teammate's perspective. Uh, I mean, absolutely fantastic to watch. I mean, um, Ollie's been a, had such an impact since he's joined, and um, to come in and you know, week after week, he's going to get into thirty and getting out. But against his old club Grange, he just came in and was very positive from the start. But he certainly had a bit more steel behind his eyes today, um, and really just kind of you know went went up through the gears very quickly, and um, and just dominated. I think hit numerous sixes. I mean, it was it was it was something special to watch, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you know, there's a few players in the league who can do that. Once they get to their hundred, they then really motor on for that next you know next ninety runs. I mean, it was blink and you miss it again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when he got to hundred, it, it was almost like he didn't celebrate that much because he, he kind of knew he wanted to make it a big one, and uh, and he certainly did that for sure. Yeah, and just overall performance from the team to. To beat the team that were previously unbeaten in the league, you must be must be pleased with that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, in, in today's game, we've been kind of anchored with, with, with Ollie dominating the game, um, but it's fantastic as a team to get the result. Um, Granger, obviously, a very strong side, um, and and you know, we know we, what we've seen is my side as a pitch has really improved over the last wee while. Um, but as a team, we're, we're kind of getting used to that, um, pulling together in the field, fielding um, well getting the wickets when we need to get the wickets and, uh, and you know it's, it's great to get a result like that for sure yeah and I think that made it four wins in, in seven days in different competitions so you must really want to try and kick on from here uh, absolutely absolutely I mean for, for sure I think you know we've, we've had a bit of a kind of scrappy like mentality up until now sort of playing the role of underdogs a little bit and uh, and we're sort of you know as a result we get, we're getting those results and it's really good to see sort of different people coming to the side for the 2020 games for the Scottish Cup games and, and get results and we'll, we'll hopefully kick on from here we've got a lot of big cricket to play with the Scottish Cup quarterfinal coming up Marston games and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll see how we can get on in the league as well Pete McSimchick there. Heriots are third in the table after their very own Super Saturday at home to Stonywood Dice. Matthew Cross's 171 not out, a club record score, helped Heriots make 307 for five in a contest which was also reduced to 46 overs per side. While his unbeaten 164 run partnership with Keith Morton, who made 36 not out, is also a club record for the sixth wicket. In Stonywood's reply, six Heriots bowlers all took wickets, including two for Hamish McLeod, on his first top team outing in quite some time as the Aberdeen side were 156 all out. A battling 48 by David Kidd was the only crow of comfort for the visitors in a 149 run loss via DLS. And Carlton are fifth in the table after a solid away win at Arbroath. Rory Allardyce led the way with 4 for 38 for Carlton as the home side were bowled out for 161 batting first at Lachlan's. Aaron Pillai also bowled well, taking 3 for 16 from 10 overs. In the reply, Former Arbroath player Fraser Burnett with 49 led the way for Carlton, Shuja Khan making 36 and Ali Shah 32 as they got home by six wickets. In the final game in the division, there was a massive rain downpour just before the start of play between RH Christorfen and Meagle at Barnton, which saw the game called off. Thanks, Gary. Well, while those two leagues are still in their early stages, things are boiling up very nicely in the Women's Premier, where Carlton took another massive step towards the title, Rosie. Yes, Jake. Carlton won the toss on Sunday and decided to have a ball at Grange Lone. 
Ellen Watson and Neymar Sheikh opened up the batting for West with Neymar scoring 14 runs before getting out LBW to Sam Hagel in only our second over. Ellen Watson scored 34 runs before another LBW from Karis Scott. Abdaha Maskud managed to score the highest total for West with 36 runs before being bowled by Macy, Macy Era of Carlton. Macy has really impressed me in another week of women's Premier League cricket, managed to get another two wickets after bowling Abdaha, just showing her consistency with the bowling at the moment after getting a 5 for against Umpreys and Galloway last week. That'll land her nicely in the bowling stats in the Women's Premier League this week. Not to mention another player holding their own for West, who was Sophie Trickett, scoring 22 runs and helping West to make a reasonable total of 147 for Carlton to try and chase down in their batting innings. Neyman and Sturgis opened up the bowling for West with some really consistent bowling from Neymar yet again. This wasn't enough, however, for the openers, Aitken Drummond duo, which we have been so used to seeing over the past few weeks. Unsurprisingly, Annette, who is in great form at the moment, held her own with a 50 not out, and Abby Aitken Drummond smashing 49 and about 22 balls. That included six fours and two sixes, of which I heard one of the sixes was the furthest they'd ever seen Abby hit. <laughs> so in full form from her this week. Abby was just short of her 50 being caught and bowled by Abtaha Muskud, who took a screamer of a catch by Abby after using all her force in her batting. Karis Scott then came straight into the bat, but was stumped by Ellen Watson behind the wicket. Hannah Rainey finished off the innings for Carlton within the 20 overs, which was a great partnership with Annette to end on 37 not out to help Carlton win by eight wickets. And in the other game, Watsonians Grange made it two wins in a row with a victory over George Watson's college at Craig Lockhart. Watsonians Grange won the toss and elected to bat. Opening the batting was Becky Glenn and Preenaz Chatterjee, who managed to get off to a great start, with Becky Glenn hitting a huge total of 90 and just 50 balls before being run out by Elizabeth Abbey. Preenaz Chatterjee had the second highest total of 28 runs for Watsonians Grange, before being caught by Gabriella Fontella from the bowling of Emily Tate. Elizabeth Abbey grabbed another wicket with the second international Megan McCall being caught for 20 by Abby Grant. Neve Robertson-Jack also came in to hit a reasonable 25 runs with the Watsons Grange side scoring a massive total of 196. George Watson's college came out to bat against a strong Watsonians Grange bowling lineup. Emily Tucker, who was opening, managed to get caught and bowled off Megan McCall, who managed to get an amazing four for two. Abby Grant, who opened up with Emily Tucker, managed to grind it out, showing her determination against the side. Two other batters that stood out in the George Watson side were Daisy McCormack and Elizabeth Abbey, who fought hard to stay in, with a total between them of 29, before Daisy was bowled by Hutchison and Elizabeth was caught by Becky Glenn. Priyanaz, Big shout out to her, two for three. And I just want to highlight the fight that George Watson's put on. Although they scored 66 runs against a tough side, they're made up of what a school team is. And I think um, that's also just something to take into consideration because the Grange Watsonian side has a lot of international players in it. So um, I'm sure there was lots of learnings to take away, but they can definitely hold their heads up high uh, to survive in the 30 overs. Um, against that side. So George Watson's, although you lost, I think they can take away a lot from that game.
Yeah, definitely agree. There's some real stars of the future there. Uh, some some great young talent in that uh, in that George Watson side. But another great result for Watsonians Grange and another massive win for Carlton, who play their final game next week away at Royal High Castorfen. Really looking forward to that one. Well, on Sunday, I was back at Inverleith watching Stuart's Melville take on Rosie's Dumfries and Galloway. And in the traditions of a lot of the games I've watched recently, this was a bit of a nail-biter too, with momentum that swung first one way, then the other. Sumo won the toss and batted first, but lost the inform Emma Walsingham to a great ball from Orla Montgomery, which cannoned into the off stump. And then Captain Catherine Holland, who was bowled by Katie Anderson. A certain Rosie Ryan then piled on even more pressure with a double wicket maiden which made it 34 for 4. And although Katie McGill looked in great touch again as she launched a counter-attack with consecutive boundaries off Neve Muir, she tried it once too often and played on to leave the score at 44 for 5. The lower order saved the day though, batting really well to take Stumel past 100 with Iona Lowry, Jenny Ballantyne and Emma Phipps all playing their part beautifully. But with just 103 needed to win, the game was still in the balance. And so it proved for most of the reply, which again swung first one way, then the other. Neve Muir looked confident before she was bowled by Catherine Fraser, as did Orla Montgomery, who fell to a terrific court and bowled from Katie McGill. At the other end, though, Sue Strachan was standing firm, as was Rosie, who was keeping the scoreboard moving on in the face of some really good bowling from the home side. At 58 for 3 after 20, one big over from either side was going to win it, and so it proved. Rosie was sent on away by Emma Walsingham just after the post-sanitising restart, and then Emma Phipps took 2-2 two two to leave the visitors on 65 for 6. They saw out the overs, Sue carrying a bat for a terrific 45, but wound up 15 runs short in the end. So, a great game. And after it, I spoke to both captains, Orla Montgomery and first, Catherine Holland. Well, Catherine, first of all, really good game today. Lots to be proud of for both teams out there. Yeah, uh, Sue Strachan carried her bat, which is always nice to see. Um, I think our energy, we kept our energy high in the field. We thought it was going to be close, um, but we managed to keep the run rate down. I mean, a really good all-round team performance from your side today. Lots of individual contributions with the bat and the ball. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I think our lower order batters did really well today. Um, me and Emma got out er, yeah, fairly early. Um, Bowling-wise as well, I think we, we used quite a lot of our bowlers today, so they all had a, a chance to show their skills. And another win, which is, uh, which is great after last week's victory, and next week a trip to Hamilton Crescent. Yeah, uh-huh, we're looking forward to that. Um, of course, it's always nice to win. I think it was a great game, though. Um, we enjoyed batting and bowling today. It was quite close, I think. Congratulations again. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, Ola, commiserations today, but a really good team performance from your side. Yeah, it was good. I feel like we didn't play to our full potential to show everyone what we can do, but we'll come back better next week. I feel like both teams could have done better, but we've done with what we could. It's a really impressive bowling performance from your team. I mean, it's really nice to see seven bowlers end up with wickets today yeah we've got good depth in our bowling we've got lots of options and it's just good to see everyone picking up wickets um, all different techniques and everything it just shows that we can do and we can show everyone and what a performance from Sue Strachan you know oh, kept for know. 30 overs and then 45 not out I know amazing um, so proud of her she's done well 
Um, I know she was tired, but she powered through it. And back home again next week, so home going to What's Only in Scrange? Yeah, we're uh, down at Galloway next week, so looking to come back on it, come back winning, show them what we can do. Now, Rosie, last week you signed off by saying that you hoped you'd have some good news for us from a personal point of view this week. And despite the loss, two for five and a double wicket maiden was pretty good news, to be fair. But apart from that, I have two rosy takeaways from that game on Sunday for you to take us through. First of all, never mind all this I am now a batter stuff. You are officially a fast bowler instead. Yeah, I mean, surprise me too, Jake. Um, I can't really walk today, uh, if I'm honest. But um, having said that, I did get a warning from the umpire, which was quite funny. Um, And and it's not funny because I got a, a warning, but the ball did pop up. And I feel like I'm officially a fast bowler now with a bouncer and then getting a warning. And and Katie McGill had a joke that I was going to get a warning before I got the warning. And then I got the warning after she had made the joke. And I honestly think I only got the warning because she gave me it before. So, no, <laughs> look, it was, it was good fun. But I, I think officially getting a warning from a bouncer means that you're a fast bowler, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. One of the great duels, uh, which I now need to come on to because you talked about your, your battle with Katie McGill, um, which ended with you loudly saying, thank God, when the umpire called over, but not before you got the ramp shot out. <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> for anyone that's seen Katie McGill bat, she, oh, she loves a ramp shot. She loves a ramp shot. So I really wanted... The whole time I was driving up to um, to Edinburgh to Inverleaf, I thought the one shot I want to play against Katie McGill is um, is a ramp shot because she loves it, and I just thought it would be really funny. And I and I and I kept on wanting to do it, and there wasn't an opportunity. The ball was swinging so nicely when she was bowling to me, and then there was one wee opportunity, and I, I don't know if I really hit it or not, but. We just couldn't stop laughing um, after I did it. <laughs> I think I got two runs for it. So I'll take it, you know, I'll take it. I'll take what I can. But it was one of those ones where you couldn't stop laughing. I was already, as I was down on the ground for that ramp shot, I was already laughing at what I was doing. <laughs> well, it gave us all great entertainment on the sidelines anyway and put the icing on a great afternoon too. So anyway, looking ahead, what's catching both your eyes for next week? Uh, for myself, I think the, the regional series carries on, on on Sunday and it has to really be the Highlanders against the Warriors match, which is due to take place at Lachlan's. I think the victors in that game will be the ones that will go through to the final on July the 2nd to play against the Knights. So it be, should be quite a highly contested, contested game, that one. And in the Eastern Premier Division on Saturday... It'll be interesting to see if Meagle can bring back their confidence from the Village Cup victory down south into the league when they host Grange at Victory Park. Well, it'll be also interesting to see how Grange bounce back from their first defeat in any competition this year last weekend. Uh, the Furfordshire Carlton match should also be a good one with a number of batters who've been in good form recently like Michael Leesk and Shuja Khan coming up against each other. And uh, yeah, the Eastern Premier just gets closer and closer so it's shaping up to be another great weekend. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing RHC uh, women against Carlton women next week in the Women's Premier League. Um, looking forward to see how RHC respond uh, to Carlton's strong side that they've been bringing out at the moment. And I'm sure that um, RHC are going to bring out a, a nice reply to them. So looking forward to see how, how that game pans out. 
Yeah, I'd certainly echo all of that. And we'll add in what will be two fascinating games in the Western Premier between Clydesdale and West of Scotland and Fergus Lee and Uddingston. Looking forward to dissecting all of that next time. But that's it for this week. Thank you both again for your company. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Jake. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday. But until then, from the three of us, goodbye. <laughs>